I gave you a little bookmark, those of you who were here last week, uh, to help you meditate on those scriptures. Did anybody do that? My next question was, how many of you found the mistake? That was actually a test to see if you actually did it, to see if you actually found that. So some of you passed the test. That's what happens when Mary is away, and I have to do it myself. Not, not near as capable as she is. She, uh, there was actually a second mistake that you didn't find. Yes, because it says uh, Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. I should be Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And Mary found that one because she actually listened to the sermon and the, the uh, scriptures I read out. Sorry, forgot the kids. Kids, have fun. <laughs> they will have fun. They were going to make pancakes, but that got ran, uh, ran into a problem and that... Uh, our electric griddle got locked in the car. They got stuck in a parking garage. And so they're going to do something different. If you did not get a bookmark last week, I have a couple extras that I made. And uh, Cindy, if you help me out, okay. Fee, would you, this side. It just says who you are in Christ. No, no. They're not amended. You, you can, you know what? If you read 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 will, will be a whole lot better. <laughs> no. Sorry. I'd like to take you on a journey this morning in the scriptures. It's a journey that took me a number of years to make. You get to do it in 30 minutes. So you get the fast forward version, either that or I'm just really slow, which could be the case. Turn with me to Psalm chapter one. From verse one, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, or mockers is another word for scornful. That word blessed literally means happy and to be envied. Happy and to be envied is the person who literally doesn't listen to the values of the world. who does, doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Verse three, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season and whose leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does, he will prosper. I saw that and I said, it talks about being fruitful, fulfilled and prosperous. And I went, yes. I want that. Then I read verse two, but, in the, the, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now the word meditate in the Hebrew is literally to speak.
speak something out loud quietly, to repeat it over and over again. And I went, meditates in the law day and night. Oh, no. I'm never going to be fruitful, fulfilled, and prosperous. It's hopeless. And I gave up. Hopefully you didn't. I knew it was there, but I didn't have a whole lot of confidence. And then, a number of years later, I was reading Matthew chapter 22. If you'll turn there with me, or look at the deal behind me. Uh, from verse, what did I say? 36, thank you. This is one of the lawyers come to him. They're, they're testing Jesus. And he comes and says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So he came to test him. And he's asking, which is the greatest commandment? Now, they had determined there are 664 commandments in the law. And they had them organized in a certain way that when they asked you, which is the greatest commandment, they could then put you in a camp of what you think. It's like someone asking you a certain doctrinal question. What do you believe about this? And then they want to put you in that camp. Are you a Pentecostal? Whatever that means. Or are you reformed? Well, I've been transformed. I'm being transformed. So they're asking Jesus, and he says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says something interesting. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, if you actually look up that second one, it's an obscure commandment from Leviticus 19. In that chapter alone, there's 50 commandments. And it's the second half of a verse that has a different commandment in the first half. It wasn't prominent. Jesus said, you love God and you love others. But he took this commandment that literally nobody ever heard of. And he said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Love God and love others. It's a summary of the whole law and the prophets. If you understand that love is choosing the highest of someone else, love is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's a choice for someone's highest. We're commanded to love. It's a choice for someone's highest. I realize that if I meditate on loving God and on what is the best for other people, I could fulfill Psalm 1. Hey, I'm back on track to being fruitful and fulfilled and prosperous. There's hope for me. Just means I have to actually think and meditate on loving God and loving others. What is their highest? Not what is their worst. What is their highest? Why am I talking about this this morning? 
because we've been talking about it, and we will again next week, our identity in Christ. But I wanted to jump to one of the results of understanding our identity in Christ. So it's not just theoretical. One of the results is when we understand that we're loved by God, then we can actually receive that and choose to love others. Choose to see their highest. Without that, as we were talking last week, we have this competitive nature in our culture. We tend to look at all the problems in other people. We want to find out why they don't, why they're not so much better than we are. I don't know how often I hear people say something about, what, do you know about this gifted guy? Yes, I've heard of him, but do you know this? Let me tell you about the problems that he has. Hey, have you met Brian? Yeah, but let me tell you about this. <laughs> Different Brian. Love says, I'm going to meditate on loving God and Him loving me. And then what is the highest for other people? Okay, there maybe is hope for us to be fruitful and fulfilled and prosperous and blessed, happy and to be envied. Then I read something else. It's in Matthew, again, chapter 12. In verse 34, it doesn't start off very good. It says, brood of vipers. How can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is saying this. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. When I read that, it suddenly hit me that what's in our heart comes out our mouth. What's in our heart comes out our mouth. The converse is this. You can tell what you believe by what you say. God began to deal with me one day about this. It's not just what you say, it's what you do. I was at a conference and had heard a teaching on prayer and heart belief, and I was walking across this conference facility. It was out in the mountains, and the Holy Spirit just said, you don't believe in prayer. And I went, wait, but I teach about prayer. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, but you don't pray. And you know how it is sometimes when God speaks to you? It's a simple word, but it's kind of like he pulls a curtain back, and all of a sudden you have all this revelation of what that meant. And so I realized that my praying was about five minutes at a time. Now, the reason it was is because I actually didn't believe in prayer. I believed in discipline. See, I was an athlete when I was younger. I ran cross country and played basketball and tennis. 
And so I had learned to be disciplined. And so I realized that discipline is good. I thought prayer was a waste of time. But I thought discipline was good. And what God showed me was in my heart. I grew up in a church that we had a prayer meeting each week. And being a family, I was taken with my family to, to the prayer meeting. And we'd have this prayer meeting. And the pastor would talk for a few minutes about prayer. And then he said, does anyone have a need that we can pray? And nobody did anything. Kind of like you're sitting here right now. And then he'd say, does anyone have a, any unspoken requests? Four or five hands go up. How do you pray for something that's unspoken? You pray in very generals. God, if it be your will, intervene in this situation. You know what it is, and he does. But the problem is, there was never any feedback because people were unwilling to say what they needed prayer for. They never actually said when God did something. So after a number of months of doing this, my young mind kind of thought, this prayer stuff is a waste of time. Now, that was all subconscious. Okay? And God just made me see all of that. We do what we believe. Ultimately. So you can say, say you believe something. That's easy to do. But if you don't actually do it, you don't really believe it. Now, I've gotten sidetracked because what I'm wanting to say, talk about is that what's in our heart comes out of our mouth. What we actually believe, we end up saying. So if we spend our time worshiping God, loving Him, meditating on Him, and meditating on the highest of other people, what's going to come out of our mouth? See, what's in our heart comes out of our mouth because it's internalized. It's what we believe. Let me tell you this. It's not changing your language that changes you. It's changing your heart that changes your language. Okay? There was a period of time where we said if we just change our language, that will change our heart. But heart heart belief is based on meditation. Not because I say I'm the head and not the tail. No, because I've actually had a revelation of God's love for me and who I am in Christ. And what comes out of my heart then is that I'm in covenant with God. You still with me? So, bottom line, all that is to say this. Love equals An atmosphere of affirmation. Affirmation is saying positive things about people. Love will result in an atmosphere of worship, declaring our love for God. Security, receiving his love for us, but then also speaking out love for others. Now, here's where we kind of run into a little problem with Australian culture. So affirmation, let me talk about that before I get into the culture. Affirmation is literally this. It's speaking love. Because that's what we've been thinking. 
Affirmation is not pretend. I'm in church. I better say something nice about Prue. <laughs> it's not flattery. It's not just agreeing with someone. Now, there is a point. I don't know how often I hear people say, I just want to speak the truth in love. Now, whenever you hear that, you just got to say, okay, please don't. I want to just speak in love. Now, if I'm speaking in love and it's heart, it will be truth. But that's not an excuse to, to talk about everything that's wrong with someone. Because speaking the truth in love usually means I'm going to tell you, Johan, I want to tell you, I want to speak the truth in love. I want to tell you how terrible you are in this. I want to tell you what a terrible drummer you are. But I love you, brother. No, he's a great drummer, so that's, obviously that's, that's why my illustration. He's also very secure in who he is in Christ. He was before this morning. <laughs> oh, Before we moved here a couple years ago, they had this show in America, in America. They have here as well, but it was in America. I saw this, and it's America's Got Talent. And they have these people come and they try out and they, they think they've got talent. And I saw this. And in America, they're, they're not very nice about it. And they had this gal who came in to sing and she could not sing for anything. She was terrible. Her voice was terrible. She couldn't sing on key. Every note was wrong. And my thought was, I mean, they just blasted her on the TV. Embarrassed her tremendously. And my thought was, who in her life told her she could sing? They were lying. They weren't loving her. I'm going to tell you, you can sing. Well, I want to tell you, you're Superman and you can jump off the Empire State Building. No, Lance, you're Superman. You can do anything. You're a superhero. You can jump off the tallest building. But see, that's not love, is it? So affirmation is not making up stuff. It's not just agreeing with someone. Some little kid says, I'm Superman. Well, you are wonderful. But don't go try jumping off tall buildings. You still with me? Yeah. Affirmation, speaking love, because that's what you've been thinking. Let me just touch the other side for a moment. Receiving affirmation. What about when somebody is speaking something positive and loving to you? I want to tell you, most of us have very little experience with this unless it's our spouses. And so we tend to do it Totally wrong. Let me tell you, how do you receive affirmation? Two things. You look the person in the eye and you shut up. And after it's all finished, you can say thank you. What do we tend to do? We don't look at them. And then we say, nah, I'm not really like that. 
and we just diminish everything they've said. Oh, no, if you only knew what I was really like. Oh, no, no, I've got to, you know, we have this false humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking accurately of yourself. What is pride? Pride is thinking that you're something you're not. So if I'm pretending I'm something I'm not, if someone were to say, Johan, you're a great drummer. You know, I said, no, I'm not really a great drummer. I just, you know, there's other people who are much better, and I'm not really. He's actually, that's pride. He's pretending he's something he's not. Right? Honesty is saying, thank you. You don't have to say what you're not. Let me say this to you. Everyone here, I want to set you free. It's not your job to keep anybody humble. It is not your job to keep anybody humble. Whose job is it to keep you humble? It's yours. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you. God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So what is humility? It's being honest. I'm not Superman. Now I have to admit, I don't want to admit this because then I get held accountable for it. When God made me, he gave me a good memory. It wasn't because I worked at it. I didn't realize until I got older that I had a good memory. I just thought everyone did. I read something, and for the most part, I remember it. I can tell you what book it was in and what page it was on quite often. That's not because I have some wonderful ability that I worked hard. It wasn't because I ran 10 miles a day to be fit. It was simply the way God made me. God also made me with white hair. He did a good job on the first one, not so good on the second, no. <laughs> now, if I were to pretend I don't have white hair, that would be dishonest. If I were also to pretend I don't have a good memory, that would also be dishonest. Someone says to me, how do you remember names? God just made me that way. Does that make me any, no, it's just... How do you have white hair? God just made me that way. It did start to go white the year I got married, though. No. <laughs> See, it's not your job to keep people humble. How often do you hear this? If I affirm someone, they'll get a big head. She'll get all full of herself. So rather than speaking positive, now this is where it flies into the face of Australian culture because we tend to be quite sarcastic, which can be fun 
And there's a place for that when it's done in affection and humor, but not if that's all you ever do. If I only ever tease Johan about his drumming, he's going to eventually get insecure about his drumming. But if I jokingly tease him while I'm preaching, but then I tell him personally that he's a great drummer or a great teacher or preacher or has a wonderful heart for hurting people or is amazingly accurate when he prophesies, all of a sudden, what am I doing? I'm actually working with God to establish a heart of security. So, we need to develop a culture of affirmation and acceptance. Three arenas, I'm going to tell you real quick. The first one is with yourself. A culture of affirmation and acceptance. Do you ever speak negative to yourself? I used to play tennis, like I said, when I was in university. And uh, I was very competitive. And when I hit a bad shot, I'd get all over myself. Rush, you dummy. You can play better than that. It doesn't affect me too much, though I found myself doing it the other day playing golf. And I was hitting the ball terrible. I went, you idiot, you can do better. And then I went, no, no, that's not me. I actually like golf. I don't have to be good. <laughs> if I were, I wouldn't be playing. <laughs> Mary and I lived, we were with Youth with a Mission for a while. We established a uh, YWAM base in an island in the Pacific called Saipan, which is about 120 miles north of Guam, out in the middle of nowhere, 1,200 miles directly south of Japan and about 1,200 miles east of the Philippines, out in the, the Pacific. And we lived there, and I was actually going to share this on affirmation. And in my preparation, I was sitting there preparing, and the Holy Spirit broke in and said, Russ, why don't you ever allow me to affirm you? It was one of those pull the curtain open, and this whole revelation. See, my concept, my dad, Loved me, but he worked two, sometimes three jobs. And uh, I didn't see him a whole lot. He died when I was 13. And often what he had time for me was when I had done something wrong and needed to be corrected or when he had something for me to do. And so subconsciously, I'm approaching Father God with this idea that every time I come to his presence, I'm expecting to get corrected or directed. Tell me what to do or tell me what I've done wrong. How of us have that concept? We come into God's presence and we're saying, okay, God, show me my heart. What have I done? Show me what I need to change. Fix me. And sometimes he just wants to say, can I just tell you how much I love you? Can I just tell you what I think about you? You know what? There's no one like you in all of history. And there never will be. I made you specifically because you are unique. And I made you for this time. The devil says, no, you're a mistake. You weren't wanted. 
God says, no, I wanted you. I made you. Yet sometimes we don't allow him to speak to us. Here's the question. Do you agree with God or with the world? The world says your nose is too big. So do you look in the mirror and say, my nose is too big? I wish I had a dainty nose that looked like Sandy's. But I don't. My ears are too big. Whatever it is, the world says this, and we agree, or do you say, God made me unique? A culture of affirmation and acceptance with your family. Now I'm going to step on your toes. How do you speak to those who are closest to you? Do you always find the problem? Do you always point out where they didn't quite do it right? Are you always critical? It's very quiet. I was in Singapore a few years back, teaching in and uh, equipped with some church leaders, and afterwards, I had a minister time, and I noticed this guy here just in tears, weeping, holding his wife and his kids, and just, I mean, tears, sobbing. And I went, man, I might not have preached good, but it wasn't that bad. <laughs> and I went to ask him, and I was talking about criticism. He said all he ever received from his father was criticism his whole life. And then in tears, he says, I've become my dad to his kids. So he was asking them to forgive him for being critical. Sometimes we think it's love to want them to be the best, which it is, but then we point out every problem to thinking they were going to help them be better. Oh, that was 99.9% right, but let me tell you about where it could have been better. Very quiet. I can say this because I've been there and done that. Mary and I are quite different. Different giftings, different temperaments. I tend to be very black and white, very structured. Things go a certain order. She is amazingly creative. But with her creativity, there's often no order at all. It's just everywhere. And I used to think my way was the right way. And her way was wrong. So I needed to correct her so that she could be more structured and ordered. Fortunately, she put up with me for a while until the Holy Spirit finally said, I didn't make her you. I made her her. And you don't want to be married to you. (laughs) I don't know why she wants to be married to you, but you definitely don't want to be married to you. And so I began to see how God takes people who are different and he puts them together. Now, let's take that beyond the family to here. Look around. There's a lot of different people. 
do we speak affirmation, love and affirmation? Or do we focus on where they're wrong? We saw that video a few months ago, short video, Graham Cook talking about the guy in the church who was just angry and grumpy and God said to him, tell him he's God's gentleman. So he began to speak prophetic. What? Love. His highest, not what he was in the world. And he began to tell him, and he said that weekend he ran into him like 19 times. Every time he went to the bathroom, this guy was coming out. And he just said, you're God's gentleman. And the guy said, no, I'm not. Until three weeks later, he came to the front of the church and he said, I need help. I realize I'm an angry miserable man, but I want to be God's gentleman. Speaking love and affirmation and not criticism is God's way. See, what that does, back to growing in the Spirit, is it gives us the safety to risk. I think the Holy Spirit's saying this. But what if I'm wrong? Let me tell you, the best place to learn obedience to the Spirit is right here. Because we love you, and we're for you. And if you mess it up, we're not going to tear you apart. Better to practice here than out in the world, because they might tear you apart if you mess it up. You need a little bit of practice. But not only does it give us a place of safety, it also helps confirm our gifting. I want to tell you, the way God's established it, that when we flow in gifting that he's given us in a body, others will confirm what your gifting is. They'll tell you. You don't have to come with a business card and a PR campaign that says, I want to tell you, I'm an apostle. When we went back to the States, uh, 10 years ago, we went to plant a church and I was at a little conference and some guy came up to me, handed me a business card and said, so-and-so apostle. I went, do you even know what an apostle is? No. But this is a PR campaign. We have to push our gifting. We have to convince people. I want you to know that God spoke a word over me. This is an illustration. Some guy, God, God told me I'm a teacher. You've got to give me an opportunity to teach in the church. Yeah, we'll see. How do we know you're a teacher? Because we'll see your gift and operation with people. And people say, hey, that guy's a teacher. That guy has a heart for hurting people. That guy is prophetic, very accurate. There's also accountability in community. The team that we partner with, Ephesians 4 gifting team, every one of them are based in local churches. Now I'm going to say something that's going to get me in trouble here. No, I'm not. I'm not getting in trouble because I'm not going to say it. I believe in discipline. Ha ha. Now that, the team, see it's, it's so easy to go someplace else and talk about yourself or things you've done when nobody's there who actually knows you. 
friend of mine told me that he hit a, uh, playing golf, hit the ball, almost had a, uh, an eagle, because the second shot hit the flag and dropped half an inch from the hole. And my wife said, yeah, but who else was there with him? <laughs> she was joking, because he's a man of integrity. But what happens is that we can make up all kinds of stuff about ourselves. And we see it all the time. But community is where there's something of accountability. I can't say that, hey, I prayed, I have a friend who, it's kind of a story, but it's kind of the PR thing. There was a family in, who lives in Thailand and uh, run a ministry there. They're, they're Thai and their youngest the son fell into a pool and drowned. And, and they brought him up dead. He hadn't been breathing. And this guy just immediately sent a message to people around the world because he had a lot of contacts. Pray for my son. He's drowned. That God will bring him back to life. About five minutes later, he did. God did bring him back to life. Wonderful story. But this guy that I know in Colorado said... Uh, he got the message and he prayed at this time and at that time God brought the guy back to life. Now, there were probably, I don't want to exaggerate, but probably a thousand people praying at that time. And the whole time frame was only five minutes from the time they pulled him out of the deal till he was right. So anybody could say, I was praying and God resurrected him. But he's saying, it was my prayers that resurrected. I, I'm an apostle because I've raised somebody from the dead. Let me tell you, there's nobody who's ever raised anyone from the dead except Jesus. There's nobody who's ever healed anyone except Jesus. It's not, oh, if I get rest to pray for me, I'll get healed. No, it's Jesus who heals. Are you still with me? Okay. Moving to the end. How does this apply to us? And I'll shut up here. The application is one, Lord, help me change my heart. Well, I've been critical. It's not, Lord, help me to change my speech. It's help me change my heart. Let me meditate on that person's good points. Let me meditate on their highest. Let me not meditate on their failings and their weaknesses, because that's what we almost always do. We think of someone and we just go over everything they've ever done wrong or everything, something they said or how they hurt us. And we just go over and over and over and over and over and we're meditating on it and it becomes what's in our heart. And surprise, surprise, it comes out our mouth. I want to tell you, if you actually meditate on what is good about them, and that goes over and over and becomes your heart belief, surprising something else will come out of your mouth. Lord, help me change my heart. And then, secondly, we need to repent. 
for speaking negative. Because speaking negative is agreeing with the world and the devil. You're putting yourself on the devil's side. That's pretty heavy duty, huh? Okay. Bow your head if you would. When we understand who we are in Jesus and we receive the love that God has for us and it transforms us, we can be loving toward others and we can create an atmosphere around us of affirmation and acceptance. Not lying and pretense and pretend, but affirmation that comes from the heart. It doesn't take a genius to see the problem, but it takes a spirit-empowered person to be part of the solution. So as we're growing in the spirit, we want to create an atmosphere of affirmation and acceptance. Because we might actually make some mistakes. You might ask someone to pray for you and they don't pray right. You need to have grace. Lord, we do. Actually ask that you would help us change our hearts. Uh, we don't want to put a band-aid over an issue where we've been critical or negative. We want to actually be changed. And we choose right now to repent of agreeing with the world and the devil. Of the negative things we've said about others and about ourselves simply because we've accepted the world's values of what makes someone worthwhile. Lord, right now we choose to turn from that. And we say, God, help us create an atmosphere of affirmation and acceptance and love. In Jesus' name, amen.